for the first time in 2023. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode one of F1 in Review of this season. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher at the start of yet another season of Formula One. This season itself doesn't start for a number of weeks, but there's lots to discuss heading into this. We've got different liveries and designs that each team and constructor has chosen, along with a number of controversies, shall we say, concerning the FIA, the governing body. But first, first of all, the team principles, just as we were wrapping up last season's series of F1 in Review for older listeners and indeed fans, shall I say, of this podcast series. We're signing off, as I say, and change was afoot, but change not this time when it came to the driver lineups. No, this was all sorted. It was down to the team principles of Ferrari, McLaren, Alfa Romeo and Williams, but to name but four teams there. First at Ferrari, we saw Alfa Romeo's Fred Vasseur move over there to replace Mattia Bonotto. First of all, then Angus, your thoughts on that one? An interesting appointment. I think we knew that Bonotto was kind of out the door, didn't we? Um, we knew that was going to be the case. Um, Fred Vasseur... I think the scepticism of his appointment is a little bit harsh. People saying that he's a bit of a soft touch and he doesn't have that big team experience. But they forget that he has this track record of success in the junior formulae with ART Grand Prix in F2 and GP3. Uh, also working alongside a certain Mr. Charles Leclerc. Could be handy. Um, mm. And also had a solid season with Alfa Romeo last year, bringing them up from what had been a poor couple of years beforehand Uh in their well as their couple of years as Sauber in the 2020s but had a strong season with Alfa Romeo last season and I don't think it will be a move that brings necessarily immediate rewards but I think over time it could be a shrewd appointment. It's, a, it's an interesting choice I think and one that we all predicted uh, at the end there was lots of rumours flying around with with um, Fred Vasseur definitely proved himself a little bit and isn't it nice to be back with such a, an interesting topic of team principles given what's been going on behind the scenes that the movement's been going there and it, it's nice to be able to chat about it with some some fellow f1 you know uh fans because i've been rather lonely um over the winter <laughs> months by myself no one to talk to about this this sort of stuff and with testing coming up i feel like that's the the moment we're going to finally see how how impactful maybe the team principles um, will actually get, are, are going to be. Now, Fred Vasseur in particular, as Angus said just there, has had yeah, pretty good success um, in his previous role at Alfa, Alfa Romeo and, and in a, as Sauber, really, um, as they as they kind of are now, I guess, because of the of Audi coming to the sport. We have to. I feel like we we need to caveat that now. It's Alfa Romeo, but making sure that we use the Sauber name as well because mm. I feel like Sauber's trying to make it themselves a bit more important. So um, Fred's had a bit of a bit of a promotion really now at Ferrari, and he's big friends with Leclerc, and he seems like quite a fun bloke. I watched the launch of the Ferrari, <laughs> and they were very passionate about <laughs> their their direction and their way forward. Now um, Mattia Bonotto's gone. Fred Fred seemed pretty. Uh, optimistic and that's maybe um say he hasn't been beaten down yet by the ferrari brand but i to be honest i think it's a pretty safe bet and you know it's it's it is a bit bizarre that he, he is ferrari's not first non-italian team boss since 2007 so mm -hmm. maybe maybe that's what they need maybe ferrari was too italian and that's where it all went wrong so maybe this is like a, a, a fresh start and an, an opportunity to move last year's season 
you know, far away from them, allow Matteo Bonotto to carry that particular um, sack of potatoes um, off mm. with him. See, to start with, I also thought that Fred Vasseur was very much a Ferrari man, being at Alfa Romeo for so long and being part of the what essentially is part of their B team uh, strategy, along with with Haas there. But I looked back at his history and saw that he's actually a team principal of Renault before he went to Salba. So maybe not the sort of born and bred uh, Ferrari man that perhaps Mattia Bonotto was. So maybe not as much of a safe bet or as much as a hiring from within as we originally thought. But in terms of his record, I'm quite mixed when it comes to Fred Vasseur and what he did at uh, Alfa Romeo because yes he's done very well in the past season with uh, Guan Zhou and Bottas and driving them at the table there when it comes to constructors but lest we forget the years of stagnation really which really took over the brand of Alfa Romeo when you had Antonio Giovinazzi, you had Kimi Raikkonen there for seemingly ever and the team going nowhere aside from down 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 so I don't know if he's necessarily the silver bullet for Ferrari to make sure that they can improve and get rid of the mistakes and really uh, make the most of that great car which I've got no doubt they'll once again produce this season but um, I think he's he's a good one he's a good appointment but I suppose with one gap being filled another one opens you go to Alfa Romeo and this has for me anyway to be the biggest shock or surprise when it comes to the the chessboard the the musical chairs if you will of the team principals when all of a sudden out of nowhere we saw the former McLaren Andreas Seidel move over to Alfa Romeo, which really shocked me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I, that was, well, yes, that one was an absolute blind um, blindside, really, for me. So, I, I, I'm just surprised that 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 was the choice, and I'm surprised that McLaren, I don't know, that didn't try to keep Andreas Seidel a bit bit longer because of, he has been, you know, a key part of McLaren for so many years, and. But I, I guess also from his perspective, McLaren has been a bit of a, a I don't know, a, a bit of a wet, a wet squib, really last year, and it's had its its okay moments. But the whole whole last sort of three, four, five year saga of McLaren has been one of optimism, but actual actual like recognition of success has been relatively limited. Um, that you know they're not punching for third. Let's face it, even though they've been saying that they they want to be. Um, and and let let us just ignore the McLaren Honda situation before that. So maybe side of things. Well, this is this is my this is my moment to have some fun doing something else. And given that Alfa Romeo is leaving um, their sponsorship partner with with Sauber, and Sauber's picking up Audi, then I guess for for him looking into the long term future, this isn't so much as Seidel taking the reins of the Sauber Alpha era this is him actually picking up the next steps you know a bit like Toto Wolf coming into to Mercedes and driving that forward you know there are these few opportunities when things sort of change and th- there is a new partnership so maybe maybe that's actually what's what Cy was doing here but I didn't see it coming and there's a couple of these team principal changes that I just completely didn't see coming and maybe that's because we're too reliant on rumors what do you think I think that if we go back to the uh, Seidel one, I think, yeah, it completely came out of the blue. But then it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. I think you've got a team in Alfa Romeo who has been middling around in the midfield to the back of the grid for a while now. Um, and a team really that, other than it's when it had BMW backing, has never really been at the front of the grid. Um, so for them to get in an experienced operator such as Andreas Seidel, uh, who not only... I mean, he's not just an F1 man. He has experience in other uh, categories of motorsport. If you're building towards something from three years' time, the 2026 project, where uh, they're they're wanting to have that sort of that build up to that that entry of the uh, of the new regulations that year, I think that it's a great appointment, um, a really great one in terms of Alfa Romeo's development and how they can possibly build towards that uh, if they want to sort of take themselves seriously not that Fred Vasseur not that with Fred Vasseur in charge they wouldn't be able to do that but I think that having Andreas Seidel in that role um, as the CEO not the team principal um, the team principal now being Mr. Alessandro Aluni Bravi uh, who worked within the team already um, and was the managing director of the Sauber group it's a fascinating appointment and yes 
it's been it's been hard to keep up with. I can't lie to you. These man, these uh, these team principal appointments. They are. I just I had to look up quickly um, how many had changed hands recently, and it turns out that in the last thirteen months, six of the ten teams have changed team principal, including mm. four obviously over the winter. Um, but yes, I think that Seidel is a fascinating appointment. One that sort of ke- we'll probably forget about him, won't we, for a little bit because we'll forget that he's sort of there working behind the scenes. Um, but I think it's a fascinating appointment. It'd be interesting to see what rewards it might reap in uh, 2026 and onwards. I don't know about you guys as well. I always felt that Seidel was perhaps in the shadow of Zach Brown when it came to McLaren. He was very much Zach Brown, that is, the man who's going to go and take all the questions and do the PR stuff and be the face of the panic, if you will. Well, Seidel almost got on with the job, if you will, and um, created, as we saw in seasons gone by, a very successful car and led that indeed. But as you alluded to earlier, Tristan, it plateaued a bit when it came to McLaren and they were hit by the change of regulations. I'd say perhaps worse than... Mercedes were as well but perhaps less talked about and it's quite interesting to see whether Alfa Romeo being a team as we say which is towards the back of the grid not going that far up the grid seemingly at the moment whether they've sat him down and said we'll give you more freedom more time more money a better package overall you can drive this team forward otherwise maybe it's one where he decides I need a new challenge I need something else I need to go elsewhere and Alfa Romeo very much have a vacancy when when Fred jumped ship and uh, went to the A team if you will and uh, someone else who's taken a, a bit of a jump of a ship shall we say would be James Vowles when it comes to the former chief strategist of Mercedes going over to Williams just when we thought the Andreas Seidel one was the most exciting left field choice when it comes to new paddock appointments and new team principal appointments we have we have that one so Mercedes I presume presume have replaced their chief strategist uh, now with somebody else but James Vowles is now very much out of Toto's shadow and doing his own thing is do you think it's a smart choice with James well I don't I don't want to read too much into it because I feel I feel like that that happens quite a lot and sometimes the changes in teams can just be because an opportunity came up and, you know, for example, Andreas Idol might well have just left McLaren because he fancied a promotion. Mm. <laughs> that, that, that can be a thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah. what, what, what about James? Do you think it was a, a matter of James thinking time to, time to get out from the Mercedes safety and, and do something daring? Or do you think it's just a case of, you know, fancy a promotion, fantastic opportunity? Probably a bit of both. I'd say that he's been with Mercedes for a while. We saw them plateau when it comes to last season. The whispers are they're not going to be back to the the front of the grid immediately. So maybe he thought to himself, well, I've peaked with Mercedes. I've been, let's say, the right-hand man or part of a team, a well-functioning team, but been under many a people before. Now it's time for me to go to somewhere like Williams, which... Essentially, I see Williams as a bit of a free hit, really, because everyone accepts they're going to be ninth or 10th. So no one's expecting them to go and win races or to get to the final stages of qualifying or to win points every other race. It's very much if Williams are not last, that is a good season for Williams. And with that in mind, I think he's probably thinking, I'd like a chance to to try my hand at being a team principal. And with Williams as well, there's that Mercedes connection. So I don't get the impression that bridges have been burnt between James and Mercedes, but very much he's wants to go and be the leader of a team. I mean, we see it in different sports as well, where deputy coaches or coaches in the background when it comes to, let's say, cricket, football, whatever, decide they want to be the team principal, the boss. They want to go and pull the strings, if you will. And I think that's what we're seeing now, really. But he's doing it in quite a a tactful and smart, savvy way, I'd say, if I were to become a team principal at some point. I think this one is the most fascinating appointment of the lot of any team principal. Um... He will be the youngest team principal on the grid at just forty three years old, but don't let that don't let that sort of change your opinion because I think it's quite clear that he's a man with lots of experience. He was there in two thousand and nine as part of the Braun GP team that won the constructors championship. He was there for all is it eight, yeah, all eight of the Mercedes constructors championship wins. Um, there was talk um, when he was appointed by Williams that over the last two years. He was obviously chief strategist at Mercedes, but Toto Wolff had sort of earmarked him as a possible successor as Mercedes team principal and hence had been 
giving him more and more like up leveling his skills so giving him responsibility with the business side of mercedes not just the formula one team but the automotive corporation um he'd also been rumored to be involved in lots of driver contracts and other other business so sort of team principal-esque stuff um so he was almost like sort of preparing vowels that team principal role and i think it seems to be a case of when james vowels saw the opportunity of a departure um of a of the depart after the departure of yost capito he wanted that role i think toto wolf despite the fact that he had earmarked vowels as mercedes team principal down the line didn't want to stand in his way um the one interesting subplot from this is you have former Mercedes number James Vowles is like probably in the inner circle at Mercedes in the hierarchy. Do you now have Mercedes B team at Williams again? Because you've got Mercedes man, former Mercedes man leading the ship. Um, and obviously his aim will be to drag them up the grid. But it'll be interesting to see the dynamic now between Williams and Mercedes. And if Vowles' appointment there is like Toto Wolf placing a uh, sort of puppeteering the Williams Formula 1 team again to sort of try and have a hold on what they're doing uh, but i think it's a really fascinating appointment because correct me if i'm wrong but i don't recall too many appointments andrea stella's another one at mclaren which i'm sure we'll get onto but you don't i don't recall too many appointments where you have a number two become a number one it's usually a merry-go-round mm. or someone from outside f1 but it'd be interesting to see how he gets on but williams have always been a b team haven't they really i mean i can't i can't think of williams being not related to Mercedes in the the last five years or so. I don't know about you guys. Uh, well, related, yeah, but like but related as I think in is a second cousins rather than you know a daughter team or or um you, you, yeah that you might expect from Red Bull to Alpha Tauri. I think there is a yeah. distinction there. Yeah. I think there yeah, is, that's fair. That's and Williams as well. Remember the 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 issue is Williams hasn't been doing very well. When Williams is very independent, it usually comes at the times of relative success. And the the Williams partnership leaned very heavily on the the very well rated Mercedes engine um, of you know to 2015 2016. And you know, let's not forget that that engine actually drove people like Lance Stroll into the podium places. You know. And there were these these moments of, of, of magic with them, but they hid a lot of the underlying issues. And that reliance on the Mercedes engine has, I think, led to this relationship, this very, very close relationship. But the there are rumours that Williams looking elsewhere for, uh, for their engines, mm. uh, along with McLaren as well. I feel like the reason why it's not like a, a parent sort of child relationship, um, like Red Bull parent and Alpha uh, Tauri child, is because Williams can jump, jump and run. So can McLaren, for example. So I don't feel like it's that close. But James Vowles is a bizarre and, and out of the blue choice, but bizarre in a kind of a good way, I think, for me. Mm. Because... It is a merry-go-round. You're right, Angus. It, it, we always get the same sort of people moving around the team principles. Um, or in the case of, you know, we're looking at um, at Williams before, you know, we they had a, a an in Jos uh, Jos Capito, we had uh, an ex you know racing driver himself, but it doesn't really work. And James has a track mm. a track record for for excellent strategy. I think Mercedes is missing out a, a big you know in a big way actually from James's strategy management. I think they you know proven himself there. And yeah, this could be this could be the feeder um series if you like into the big teams for team principal. Uh, it's it's mm. funny because I I've never really sat down to consider how one makes it into the team principal role, and perhaps James is demonstrating this a little bit with going into Mercedes, getting up um, the, the ranks there and, and you know, heading up the, the strategy and now given this opportunity. So let's face it, if it, given what he knows about the Mercedes force behind their success, if he can bring just 50, 60% of that to Williams and drive them forward in that way, then you know they would make huge gains. So I think this is a, a, a great... A great opportunity for Williams to capitalise on on what James knows, and it seems like James has been a pretty, you know, forceful manager. 
at times, especially when it comes to the Bottas-Hamilton relationship, but I think a pretty mm. good one. Yeah, I mean, he's got a track record of success, hasn't he? And perhaps on that, that latter point there, Tristan, he's looking at how Fred Vassar stepped out of the uh, Ferrari inner circle, if you will, went to Renault, went to Salva, did his own thing, took a step back, if you will, when perhaps his opportunity to take a step forwards, if you will, in the immediacy when it comes to his career, to then take a step forwards later. So maybe James is thinking, I'll break out from Mercedes and then perhaps in, let's say, four, five, six years' time, you may have a McLaren, you may may have a Red Bull, you may have even Mercedes, Ferrari, someone saying, we'd like you to go and do do a great job because we know what you can do, not only as a team principal, but also in a quote-unquote big team in a senior role. So a very interesting yet savvy and I'd say strategic move from him really. So we'll see how it pans out, but you can see the logic in that for sure when it comes to his individual career at least. So not only do we have new team principals in charge of new teams, for them at least, we've got new cars as well. We're not too sure how they'll look come the start of this season, although testing is very much ongoing. But we're pretty sure about how all 20 cars will look this season to some degree. At least we had all 10 constructors unveiling their new looks for cars this season. So first of all, Angus, from what you've seen, what's hot and what's not on the paddock? Hot. I've always been a personal fan of the Red Bull livery. I think the colour scheme with the yellow, red and the blue always works really well. I think the Haas as well, the new sort of money ground livery with the black and the white, I think they've gone very good, very strong with that livery. Um, and my third hot, choosing a lot of them, uh, the Alpine. I think the, the nice touch, I think, is how they got that pink for the first three races. Um, and I am a big fan of that. The Ferrari, I'm going to put the not. I think controversially, uh, I think that, that I think that red. I don't know. I'm, I think there's a bit too much black on that, and I think the the red. I won't complain about the red, but the, the black. There's too much on it. The Aston Martin. I'm just. I'm. I don't know. I'm not so sure personally, having had a first look at it, and then the McLaren. I miss the orange. I think there's, they've gone too little on the orange. So I'm going to maybe three controversial knots there, but those are my hot and not. Tristan. Yeah, very good there, Angus. And definitely not hot this year is paint. Um, all the teams have decided that they don't really like paint. Paint weighs quite a lot in Formula 1. So, hey, if you can strip it down, then absolutely they're going to do that. And I think that's why Mercedes have gone back to the black livery, which I think is very hot, very like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's one of the best liveries they've done. Um, I really do like Ferrari. I think the Ferrari, yeah. just the Ferrari wording on the back of the wing looks fantastic i know it literally says what it does on the tin it is a ferrari it says ferrari thank goodness for that i really like it um but often i feel like ferrari has so much branding it looks like for example like a santander car with ferrari sponsorship and it's nice that they've actually put their their logo on it this time and um shouted about it uh, and same with um alfa romeo look I, li- I like black and red and red and black um mm. although weirdly looking at the polls um it seems like black and red good um and perhaps you know the you know red and black not so good so it seems that i'm a bit in minority there so i really like the alpha romeo as well i think it's really nice not so hot uh, red bull uh, a bit boring i find the the dark blue and the, the the carbon raw carbon color a little bit jarring like they've just forgot to paint it and rather mm. than integrating it into their livery i think the um i had high hopes for the Alpine. I really, I do like it, but I want pink. I want pink. I want pink. I want a colourful grid. And for some reason, we've forgotten to have colourful grid this year. Welcome to the dark era. And finally, <laughs> I, I was disappointed by McLaren as well. Like Angus, I want more colour. I want orange. What? I miss orange. The papaya. Mm. Brilliant. Um, but no, we haven't got so much of it. So yeah, for me, I liked the the colours, except from the, the Mercedes. I think the black looks really cool and it kind of matches their heritage of stripping down the paints of the old cars to get the silver um to save weight now they're doing it on these cars and of course you strip off the, the the paint you don't get silver for metal you get bare carbon so yeah like the mercedes a lot yeah for me the hots will be ferrari i like the classic ferrari stamp on the back and alfa romeo as well a very stylish car uh one where they've gone in a different direction uh, where you see other constructors just sort of rolling out the same configuration again and again and again with slight changes which i fear that uh, red bull or i don't fear red bull i've done it red bull have definitely done it and dare i say mercedes have done that as well they're very much thought to themselves well okay 
silver didn't work out silver's a loser's color from last year so let's go back to black and that will go and get the fans on board and make them remember about how good we were and to be fair it doesn't look too different from their previous black design so a tad disappointing on that regard and in terms of i suppose another knot as well not too hot on the williams either that seems to be another rehash so in short, I do like the cars, or I do like the constructors, that have a go and do something a bit different. And those who play it safe, boo, quite frankly. And now looking away from how the cars look and how they might end up when it comes to the starting grid in Bahrain. We know that testing's underway so that the cars have been unveiled are somewhat like what we're going to see. And I suppose the most grabbing thing from what I saw at least is the fact that Mercedes have stuck with their quote-unquote no side pods design. Despite that being, let's say, hit and miss and only coming good towards the end of the season. Were you guys surprised by the no side pods design for Mercedes yet again or not so much? They're giving their car liposuction, haven't they? It's it's even more no side poddy than the original no side pod design. I think the other thing about the Mercedes design is because it's all black, it hides the the contours just a little bit. Um, I'm half expecting Mercedes to eventually roll out 1940s camo style paint so that you can't detect the shape, direction, and speed of the car as it's going round. Um, in fact, I wonder if that that's that would be rated legal in f1 if you had like dazzle paint on the cars as just an aside there to hide um hide what you're doing i'm sure mm. there's a reason they don't do that but wouldn't that be great if someone had like dazzle paint if you don't know why i'm on about with dazzle paint look up um dazzle paint you'll you'll see what i mean but they, they do it um so you can't really see the cars very well but as i said at the the beginning just for that tangent there yeah they've given them the the car a liposuction on for mercedes and we don't know how much of this is going to translate into the real car. If I was in their position, I wouldn't necessarily be rolling out my exact aerodynamic designs a week before testing is due to begin to give you the, my competitive ample time to sketch out what I've done and, and, and replicate it. Looking at you, Aston Martin. Um, how, <laughs> can we start that already? Is that <laughs> is that permitted? Um, <laughs> oh, go on, go on. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> there's already the memes. Um, but it seems to me like they're stuck with the idea. And I, I did half expect them to, to roll back on it, given Toto Wolf's comments last year saying that they got it wrong. But clearly they think there is there is something um, something more to gain out of the giant floor design and, and you know tiny side pods. So perhaps this could be it. I, I, I'd still fear their engine cooling and how are they going to get all of that sorted? That you know, Mercedes aren't the first team to to roll out a teeny tiny um, side pod design, very thin rear end. Um, McLaren did it with Honda with the size zero engine, and look how that went. Um, I had the good fortune of actually being at a race with when McLaren Honda was was um, a thing um, a few years back, and the engine sounded awful, was overheating. So let's hope they haven't got any cooling issues, but. To me, it sounds like a natural progression forward, and that that's unsurprising. Now, you know, last year was the big reveals. This year is just the the continuation, the next step. It seems like only really Aston Martin seems to be redesigning their car every five or six minutes. Yes, the Mercedes no side pods. The Mercedes car on a diet. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Like you said, they've accepted that this. Uh, strategy this design strategy didn't really reap the rewards last year it only was towards the end um where george russell scored that win in brazil which meant that they avoided having a winless season for the first time since 2011 um but it's interesting maybe you know what what it is james vowels has left and they've suddenly lost all sense of uh sense of idea is what happened no i'm joking mm -hmm. it's um if it's a, it's a strange one maybe they've seen something maybe they've seen something where they've They've seen something in the data where they think that if they commit to the idea, it would work. Maybe they have gone on the side of in a year where the regulations, like you've like you said, Tristan, haven't really changed. It's kind of a transition more than a rip up the rule book. Um, they may have just committed to their design because they feel that it would have been too much effort and too much workload to rip it all up and start again. Perhaps you do get. The idea with regulations is that the first year they produce actually quite a wide gap between the front and the rest, and that kind of happened more more and more last year as Red Bull pulled away. Um, 
but as time goes on, the tend to, the gap tends to close up as those who are behind will see what the, the teams are ahead are doing, and they will catch up, and they will sort of little tricks will filter down throughout the field. So perhaps they're considering that they might think that it might just close up naturally, and that their design might be one to stick with anyhow. Um, but yeah, it's uh, very interesting to see how it transpires. And yeah, like you said, who copies them? Um, Aston Martin, mm. perhaps. But I mean, Ast- Aston Martin will probably want to. Aston Martin will want their own ideas. They've got Fernando Alonso in their car now. He wouldn't let them uh, do something like that. Well, actually, maybe he would. He, maybe he's the kind of person to want to make them copy their design. But yeah, interesting approach from Mercedes at the moment. See if it Will it pay dividends? I'm not sure. Perhaps if we want a competitive field. Yeah, I think Fernando Alonso wouldn't mind how he got a competitive car as long as he got it, really. But uh, <laughs> more of that later, no hmm. doubt. Um, in terms of the no look, the no side pods look, should I say, in terms of Mercedes, it's a gamble, isn't it? Because we saw it come good at the end of the season, but that's only when perhaps engineering and changes and developments on different constructors, namely Red Bull and Ferrari, and Ferrari were slowing down, that the Mercedes became better. There were designs that improved them. They became closer to those top two constructors than previous, where they were third by default because no one could catch them. But I hear rumour as well they're considering, or they've got at least theoretically designed, a plan B. So if this no sipods look doesn't work out, they will be able to roll out essentially a completely different car, similar to Aston Martin come the mid-season. But you've got to think to yourself, if the no sipods look doesn't work and they have to go to option B, that means another season down the drain. That means perhaps another third in the constructors. That means more disgruntlement for Hamilton and for George Russell and for everybody involved. And Red Bull once again getting more money, getting more success, getting, I suppose, another season of at least fighting for the top two or indeed winning both championships again. So... It's quite clear they think they're onto something. Who am I to go and say Mercedes don't know what they're doing after their years of success? But I think they're playing quite a gamble-riddled game, really, where we saw what happened previously in terms of the no sidepod look. We saw that everybody else is going for a more Red Bull, Ferrari, akin look where you have massive sidepods. So we'll know, I believe, in well, the first two or three races whether this is a good gamble or a bad gamble. But they're very much... Um, put all their eggs in one basket and it seems that they they know what they're doing and they they want to stick with this but um another season of let's be fair failure by Mercedes Mercedes standards of only a handful of wins only being competitive by sort of the mid-season is dare I say, not acceptable for that sort of team because they've got two excellent world-class drivers at their disposal. They've got an incredible team principle as well. They've got a team that knows how to win and is addicted to winning. And you think, if this carries on, and what I mean by this is if a season of non-competitivity come the sort of, you know, until the mid-season carries on, then you do question what happens to to many people there, whether they go elsewhere, whether they jump ship. Maybe James thought to himself, well, if we're sticking with the no side pods look, I'll go elsewhere. Maybe just been another conspiracy theory in the mix. Maybe that's why he left. But we'll see. But interesting that they've gone for this one. I wasn't expecting them to be so so cast iron with this, for sure. Yeah. The, the biggest thing for me, right, and, and looking at the cars, and I'm glad we're talking about the design of them, because do you remember last year I was very excited for Alpine? Well, um, this mm. year I'm very excited for Alpine. They hey. they've got a really really different car. Well, the the car they unveiled was very very different to last year's. They've they've remodeled loads of it. They've remodeled uh, the fronts. I got a front. It's got a really wide front wing. It's got a completely different rear um, suspension layout. The 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 side pods are completely. Are different as well it has like a, a really flat top and it, it has like a black bar going down the back that reminds me of the old sort of formula three style cars when they used to have the the sticky out um air intake i think on the side it reminds me of that and it has loads of um loads of holes in it but um i'm i'm really excited for alpine it seems like they've really spent time developing their car and progressing it forward um in in a way that you know Mercedes has sprung theirs forward. I feel like Alpine as well had a bit of a different style and they've sprung theirs forward as well. And this this could be really, really good for Alpine because it would be nice if they were back into the top three. So if you are if you have a few uh, spare minutes and you fancy taking a look at you know what Alpine's doing, I definitely would recommend it because their car looks very, very cool, very, very different as well, very flat. 
Um, and again, this is just another design theory that we've got now within the the sport. I would argue. Well, last year we had four, didn't we? Because Aston Martin had their own design, which they quickly abandoned. But now we've got the Ferrari esque designs. We've got the Mercedes, and then finally we've got the the Alpine, and then we'll find out how everyone else's fits into that as well. But I'm as a counter very very excited for Alpine because this could be a really good moment for them. And testing is getting underway this week. Who are we looking at then, aside from Mercedes and by extension Alpine, as to how they do for good or for ill? Who do we think could have a rather decisive testing, shall we say, come this uh, the next few days at least? I'm interested to see how Ferrari gets on. I think that we're always promised big things. I feel like the classic build-up to an F1 season is seeing how Ferrari gets on. And either the, the combination, especially the last few years of... One, will they be able to live up to the hype? And two, will they be able to deliver on any promise which they show? Um, and promise often comes from pre-season testing. I remember, was it 2019, I think, when Mercedes wiped the floor with the field that year? Um, but in testing, Ferrari are about two seconds quicker than Mercedes. And everyone said, wow, Ferrari are looking good. And then they turned up in Melbourne. They finished fourth and fifth, one minute behind. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Ferrari gets on in those initial tests um i also think aston martin to be honest is one that comes to mind Mm, i'm intrigued to see fernando alonso has joined a team which came seventh in the constructors last year and he said that they are the best he was said saying along the lines of they're the they were the best team outside the top three teams to be able to win a world championship in the next couple of years now if you looked aston martin last year you wouldn't necessarily believe him but he's a smart man he has possibly seen something and Aston Martin's car did pick up towards the second half of last year. So it'll be very interesting to see if that momentum is carried on. It'll be also interesting to see, I think on a smaller point, just to slip in a little bit of news, yep. see how Mr. Felipe Drogovic gets on. Because ah, Lance Stroll... Uh, yes. Had his, um, <laughs> yes, Lance Stroll had a, a cycling accident um, before in the last couple of days. Of course, we wish him a speedy recovery uh, from any injuries he has. But his participation in the opening race in Bahrain in two weeks' time is currently in doubt. So it'd be very interesting to see how mm. Drogovic, the F2 champion, will... Uh, he's he's Aston Martin's official reserve driver anyhow, or one of them. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how he gets on in what will be his second test run, I think, in an F1 car, because he did possibly the practice sessions or the young driver's test last year. But yeah, those are my two for me, Ferrari and Aston Martin, for varying reasons. Hmm. Tom, what about you? Who who are you going to have a BDI on um, across the the 23rd to the 25th of February? I must say, Alfa Romeo, uh, a team that I have a good feeling about. I think they're one to watch. Potentially a dark horse to break into, I suppose. The top five, maybe. I won't go any further than that. But I look at the driver pairing they have. I look at Bottas, a man who's been there now, coming into his second season. You've got Guan Yu Zhou, who is a very capable driver. Also has a lot of money behind him as well. Um, So for me, that's almost the perfect balance ticket, really, for a midfield team who's aspiring to break in to to further. And then you've got Andreas Seidel as well, who's come over from a McLaren, who, yes, he's not had a perfect record, shall we say, with developing cars, but he's certainly been able to to build them up again after the doldrums that were the sort of Honda era with Stoffel van Dorn and uh, Fernando Alonso as well. He can't take all the credit, of course, but he can take a large portion of it, owing to how well that car did. A car that nearly won a race, let's, let's be forget, as well, uh, with Lando Norris at the helm at Sochi, I believe, uh, before that was unfortunately banned. Um, so, yes, they're a team I'm looking at for all different reasons. I like the car, I like the drivers like the setup I think they could go places really and I, I, I see them as being a team who's wanting to break away from being the Ferrari B model okay they're not a B team like Alpha Tauri are but they very much are uh, related to Ferrari in terms of the setup there. I think they're pulling away from that in terms of they now have free reign over their driver selection in years gone by and they're now sort of going in their own direction. So excited for them more than anybody else. Um, in terms of the top teams, I always think it's very hard to judge because the team that does very well in testing has a very good car, but then again, there's already somebody else. There's always somebody else. There's always another team there that's giving them 
a great deal of competition, so it doesn't really translate that much. But um, Williams, I guess, would be another one as well. I think um, with uh, Logan Logan Sargent coming in as well, I think that'll be an interesting one to see how he does. Not to mention there uh, Alex Albon as well, having another season under his belt with that team and uh, the new team principal we spoke about as well. So yeah, what about you, Tristan? Are you Tom, similar you with us? Like, you just name them all. <laughs> Apart from uh, you missed our hats. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my eye on uh, all of them. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned two. I mentioned two, but you know, go for it. Sorry, Tom. Um, uh, well, I've got my eye on the bat markers, um, but, and I don't want to link this because I don't want to make Pierre Gasly sound like a bat marker. I've got my eye on the bat markers. Independently from that, I've got my eye on Pierre Gasly um, and mm. the Alpine. I've already said why I'm looking at Alpine, interestingly. And I, in our Formula One fantasy, which we'll be setting up very, very soon, and you can all join, I will be putting Alpine into that. And I look forward to reaping my rewards, which if it's anything like last year, there won't be many rewards. But mm. Pierre Gasly has had a very rocky time in Formula One from being you know, in Alpha, Alpha Tauri, um, and then his brief stint in Red Bull and then back to Alpha Tauri and and now he's had his he's got his opportunity to be in a French car and he'll be with Esteban Ocon which is an interesting pairing they've said they get on do you believe them professionally I think it's cordial but I don't think it goes beyond see you Sunday mate yeah <laughs> I, I look forward to the YouTube videos of them both like doing um fun activities together because i don't know i think the the atmosphere may may not be so great it, it might not be a mm. bromance like i think the the team would like to pro, uh, portray so um pierre gasly i would i'm really interested to see whether or not he can extract a lot out of the car whether or not he gets on with the car and whether or not he can get over his i think his own mental block which i'm, I'm not making that up drive to survive and, and other uh interviews with pierre um, suggests that, you know, he suggests within it that he has his own mental block. So it'd be really interesting to see how he has progressed, actually. Mm. And for me, the the ones I'm watching are Haas and Williams. Everyone else is, is going to be okay. Um, but Haas and Williams have had such a, a, a poor couple of years. Now, Haas did have those moments of magic last year, but they for a lot of seasons they didn't score any points and Williams again a couple of moments of magic a couple of moments of luck let's not forget Alex Albon scoring a point in Australia by not pitting till the very end you know, the, but I, I, I want to see whether or not this extra money whether or not these rules which are supposed to help teams at the back hmm. are actually helping the teams at the back and that's yeah. going to be really important. You've already mentioned Logan Sargent, so um, I'll keep that one short. But I think what we want to be seeing is the teams at the back just pulling closer to the ones at the front to give us just... We want more moments of magic. We want more opportunities for someone like Kevin Magnussen to be able to get pole position. You know, that was incredible um, last year. Absolutely one of the best... The, I rate it as my best moment of the year. And... You know, close to that, Nico Hulkenberg. Let's face it, the man's gone out of the sport and without ever getting on the podium, and now coming back in with Haas, you know, he's going to be wanting this as well. So, yeah, two the two back markers, um, Haas and Williams. So the interchangeable back markers over the last sort of four or five years. That's that's going to be my eye, um, along with Alpine. Maybe I'm low key becoming an, an Alpine supporter. McLaren's still my my team, but <laughs> I don't know. McLaren's been. <laughs> a difficult team to follow for a very long time. Yeah, I think Oscar Piastri as well, to add another name. Be interesting to see how he does, mm -hmm. more generally speaking, because uh, there's a lot of talk about him, obviously, and he was prized away from Alpine, came kicking and screaming out of there. Comes with a lot of hype around him, but with hype, you always need to fulfil that, obviously, because the spotlight's on you greater than ever. So I don't think we'll see that in testing, but definitely one to watch more generally. I think the drive to survive... Uh, I suppose episode or segment on him could be quite interesting because I imagine he's quite a, uh, a character who likes to likes to make his feelings known for good or for real. But we'll see. Maybe I'm misjudging him there. I never spoke to the, the fella, of course. So I got a comment. Well, Drive Survive comes out um, on the on the 24th, I think, which um, from mm. time recording is is on this Friday. 
Uh, of course, if you're listening back way in the future, then this Friday won't make any sense. But 24th of, of February, if you're right. Um, and Max Verstappen's going to be featured on it this time. Yes. He's finally uh, got that, um, got the negotiations down, given that I think last time he refused because they started making things up, which I think is pretty fair, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's one of those, yeah. Drive to Survive for me is a fine blend of, or it should be at least, entertainment but factual content and at times i think they went more for the entertainment side of things which i get but you know yes drive to survive does make make a few things up but you have to remember i think it does try to tap in whilst i'm a bit skeptical of its its means it does tap into a generation of formula one fans and it has engaged a whole load of people it's engaged america which people had failed to do for a long long time who are running formula one um but yeah be interesting to see the next series, see uh, what's in there. I think it'd be particularly heartwarming. There better be a whole episode um, on just the Brazilian Grand Prix and Haas's uh, pole position there. Surely there has to be. Is there? There has to be. That's an incredible story. There has I to think, be. Well done. Yeah, I think there um, there will oh, be because thank you. they've shared the uh, they've actually shared the um, names of the uh, episodes ahead of ahead of time, and there almost certainly is uh, a Haas one. On there, but anyway, because it was you know such a, a a big point. Will you will you um will you have your eye on the Lewis Hamilton and George Russell during testing? Because I always I I seem to remember looking back at at testing last year, Hamilton always plays it a bit slower. Apart from that one turn for the year when Mercedes came out and they were just miles ahead of anyone, and uh, yes, they were surprised yes. by that. But after that, we tend to get this. Mercedes like, oh, we're only eighth in the uh, grid. <laughs> what are we going to do? And then in the first race, they you know, absolutely blitz for everyone. Yeah, I, I will be looking at that, not only in testing, but also more broadly speaking. I think now we've got a season where everyone's used to the regulations. Everyone, everyone is used to Mercedes being perhaps not as smooth as they were previously, and everyone knows what George Russell is about. He's no longer, I suppose, uh, the wild card or the, fre- uh, the the new kid in the block, shall we say. He's very much established. It's now up to Hamilton, really, to bring his own game because, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. I often forget, but George Russell beat him. You know, a, a Mercedes teammate of Lewis Hamilton, a teammate of any team uh, that Lewis Hamilton is in, beat him and beat him convincingly. And you can only put that down to the regulation change, to porpoising, to... X, Y, Z excuse so much really. So one to look at throughout the season, not only at testing, I'd say. Yeah, I think that... I think that... You know what I'm going to say? I think the pressure is on Russell a bit more this season, in all honesty, because we know what he can do. He can beat... If we're being very... If we were being a bit overdramatic about it, he beat the greatest driver of all time in his first mm. season in a top team. Some might say that. Mm. Um He's got to he's got to arguably back it up, and I'm not saying he's not capable of backing it up, but I th- I feel like Hamilton will be on a mission this year. Hamilton is 38 years old or something, but he's still very good. He's still a very good driver, um, and it'd be fascinating to see how George Russell. I'm going to call him George Russell. I keep calling him George in the past, but I'm not. I do not know him. Um, <laughs> since you see how see how George see how George Russell gets on uh, this year. Second season syndrome is something that's often touted in sport as something where somebody could have a, a very high first season, brilliant uh, performance, overperforming its expectations. And the second season, people suss them out, they know them, and their performance level drops. I don't think we'll see that because Russell, again, is clearly a very good performer. He's clearly very comfortable in that Mercedes team. Um, but I think, yeah. Hamilton could come back with a vengeance. And I know I was saying that, I feel like I was saying that for most of last year, saying, well, Hamilton's going to come back with a vengeance (laughs) anytime soon. Well, Hamilton, this race might be his time to come back with a vengeance. But I think that this year, I feel like Hamilton knows, I know he's about to sign a new contract probably after this year, but I feel like he knows his time in the sport is coming to more of a close than it ever has been. Yeah. So he'll want to make the Mm. most of those opportunities, especially if this Mercedes no side pod car is actually quick this year um, and just before we move on as well um i, I just want to highlight that that um for our uk uh, listeners that testing is on thursday friday and saturday every day um it's 7 a.m to 4 30 
p.m. in the afternoon. So um, you should be able to watch it, I think, um, unlike last time when they did two testings and one of them was closed and the other one was was broadcast. So, um, yeah, it, they are, it is, you know, one a week before the actual first Grand Prix in Bahrain and we won't actually be able to watch this testing. So, yeah, excited. We're actually going to have F1 content, real F1 content. Wait, do we count? Yeah, additional F1 yeah. content um, <laughs> this week as well. Yeah. So um, that's your times for you, 7 to uh, 4.30 p.m. Um, Thursday, the 23rd to the Saturday, 25th. Not that I think most people tune into the whole thing because that would be mm, very I, long. And- I won't be. I won't be. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I took the team down but no I won't be doing that <laughs> no highlights exist for a reason absolutely absolutely yes um, and now before we wrap up our first episode of this new season of F1 Interview we're pivoting now to look at the FIA and it seems they've backtracked on their earlier rule to outlaw political religious and personal statements without prior consent from that governing body they've done this via a guidance note they're calling it and in short it means that drivers are now free to say what they want uh, everywhere aside from during pre and post race events and on track as well so let's say Thursday Wednesday in their own homes they can say something monday tuesday it's fine but when they're in the f1 bubble as such they're restricted uh in terms of what they say in short our thoughts on this then in terms of this let's say battle that's been going on between the drivers and the governing body quietly simmering away during the off season yes um the free speech debacle i think it's fair to say um it's interesting how in our sport, they are putting such a limit on free speech and not getting drivers to be able to say their views. Um, and it's always been an, an interesting topic in terms of the barrier or the non-barrier, whatever you may feel, between sport and politics. Um, and we've had drivers in recent years. I think it's a, people. some people say sport and politics should never mix, but I, I've always been of the opinion that they, they sort of they are linked because sporting events are sort of can occur in political context in terms of the countries they're being staged in, but also they can overlap because at the end of the day, holding sporting projects and big sporting events costs a lot of money and that breaches into this political sphere. Um, so drive, and also this, there's been a, with the increase of social media, there's been a increase as well of drivers being able to feel more comfortable in broadcasting their opinions because they have their own platform where they're not constrained by a team or a other organization they can say it from their own platform um and it's definitely become more um prominent in f1 the last couple of years since covid times i think it was kind of the birth of it was from 2020 when we had the awful uh police the brutal brutal police murder of george floyd in the united states and it led to drivers not just voicing their their viewpoints using their platform on that issue but other issues you've seen sebastian vettel was especially uh vocal on environmental issues uh in his final year of f1 racing last year i'm sure he'll continue to be um and the fia pontificates on this we race as one view and saying that um, everyone is welcome and everyone is able to take part in Formula One, participate, be a fan, etc., um, etc. Et and also people should be able to express their viewpoints. And yet they're now shutting down people um, for those viewpoints. They've had to, I think the fact they've had to backtrack on their original stance really shows that they've kind of like gone down the wrong route completely. Um, the original statement they had basically suggested that a driver could never make a statement even on their own pub, uh, personal social media page which was politically um like politically relevant because then they'd risk be banned at driving and that is a ridiculous ridiculous culling of free speech they've now rolled back on that because you had drivers rightly so like Lando Norris saying it's ridiculous Lewis Hamilton saying I don't care mate I'm going to say what I want anyway um and the FIA has kind of realized that yes they're their powers to do anything was was pretty small um and it's been it's never a good look for an organization when they have to row back so quickly on something they've said um especially when the president of said organization recently had his own comments scrutinized uh when he'd made historic sexist comments um all in all a very bad look 
for the FIA and for Mohammed Ben Suleyam. Um, and at the end of the day, sports sports people should be allowed to have these views, in my opinion. So why not let them have them? Um, it's not been handled well at all, to be honest. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts from you guys as well. Thanks, Angus. It's a, it's a an excellent, I think, summary of of my my thoughts, and um, I'm sure I think Tom shares them too. So I'll be very quick. It, it's it's a nonsense memo. It talks about how you you can't express these views um on the track or anything like that it has to be in your personal space and, and to, to be honest i mean what what counts then if i walk onto the track with a with a like a, a cross ramp you know on a on a chain for religious reasons d- does that count because that's on my personal space or you know around my neck but it's also on track so i, I might do i count what about fans as well Are fans allowed to to comment on political views as well and why well, if i'm a fan and i yell a question at hamilton and hamilton responds to that and it's a political one uh, d- does that mean he's then expressed the view through through solidarity uh, uh, what happens if the the fia accidentally let something slip through and and don't disagree with it well do they agree by solidarity and, and, and things like that there is so much context to this it's, it's a ridiculous memo the idea that you can only do something in in your your private space, um, but not on on the track, is bizarre to me. Does Mercedes livery get banned now? Because they originally did the black livery, as you said, for the um, Black Lives Matter movement. So where's the cutoff with that? And if it is arbitrary, then what's to stop them banning Mercedes? What's it to stop them banning lots of things? It's as I say, it's a nonsense memo. They, it's not within. There aren't any boundaries to it. It's basically FIA deems this to be okay or not. It says it has lots of things about prior approval. You're only allowed to do make statements and and um and other actions with prior approval. So there you go. We'll bow to our FIA overlords when they deem things to be correct. That's not how it works. You don't get to have freedom of speech with prior approval okay that's that's not necessarily what i would construct as a freedom um so i think it's nonsense i don't think they'll be able to hold it and i'm glad a lot of the drivers were speaking out this at the press conferences max verstappen lewis hamilton um two that i can think of top of my head said this is nonsense i think it's nonsense as well the fia needs to step back on this one because it's just absolutely bizarre to me that they are deciding to die on this hill get off the hill i can only echo those words really messy and pointless to the way i would describe this affair really i get the whole idea of we've got to go and focus on the sport more than anything else but the drivers aren't robots if they want to go and say something or want to go and do something they're the people who bring the money and they've got every right in my view to go and express their feelings because they're human beings they're the people who essentially put their own lives at risk in many ways are jetting all around the world to places they perhaps don't want to go to so why shouldn't they be able to have a cross around their neck or have a rainbow flag around their neck or wear a certain t-shirt or express certain views it doesn't mean that's necessarily the view of formula one that is just the view of that driver so i don't really understand why they're so concerned by drivers speaking out because i think we're past the point now where sportsmen are just seen as sportsmen only because they're human beings, not only that, but you, you can't go and have a situation where you have politicians saying, for example, oh, well, you know, we're politicians, we can focus on sport if we want, when England are doing rather well in the World Cup, or when George Russell is win- winning a race, but oh, you know, another sportsman talking about a political issue, you can't do that, you can only focus on sport. You can't have it both ways, really, and I think with the FIA meddling in politics uh, in times as well, they can't then go and say, well, you know, do as we say, not as we do. So, messy and pointless, I mean... I th- yeah, I just, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It could have been handled so much better than this. And um, yeah, it comes at a time where, in my mind, the FIA still haven't rebuilt their reputation fully from the debacle of Michael Massey and that whole season as well. So when they needed really to be keeping the mouth shut and just doing what they're meant to be doing, officiating correctly, they're opening up a can of worms needlessly, really. So I don't get it. Don't really get it. 
So we're back and like that the first episode of F1 in Review when it comes to the season is done and dusted. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or via River Radio, be that live or via the Listen Back feature as well. You can follow us on Twitter and indeed TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review. We'll have short videos going up, we'll have episodes once they're posted on the podcast provider of your choice going up as well, as well as retweeting some of the biggest news that happens when we're not recording an episode so do of course follow that account it is worth your while i promise you we'll be back next week as well of course we'll be discussing what we know from the pre-season testing and how this may translate into the upcoming season or how it may not translate into the upcoming season but until next time thank you very much for listening and we'll see you as i say next week